0: The Ireland Portugal Business Network is comprised of more than 150 member companies based in Portugal and Ireland. These companies are from a wide range of industries and professions and represent in excess of 25,000 people. Thank you very much for joining us today for our IPBN conversation with a leader. Thank you to Owen for agreeing to be the guinea pig here and sit next to us and host us in his wonderful, wonderful pub. Um, this will be hopefully a very informative informal uh, oh. chat between the two of us, I'm very excited about this, um, and I'd like to just start off by uh, giving you a little bio of Owen that I stole from Wikipedia, so if it's right or wrong, I have no idea. So O'Malley played rugby for Belvedere College, represented both Leinster schools and Ireland schools, O'Malley earned, earned seven caps for the Irish under-19s, a further 10 caps for the Irish 20s. He played three times for the Leinster 20s before getting contract for the first team. In the summer of 2013, unfortunately, he was forced to retire. I would just like to name off a few of the players in the squad of the 2012 <coughs> Leinster team. Right, So it was Brian O'Driscoll, for all the Irish people who know this, Rob Kearney, Keane Healy, Josh van der Flier, Type Furlong, Sean O'Brien and Johnny Sexton. Yeah, So that was the, the shoulders of this man rubbed against. Uh, through his years playing for Leinster. So, Owen, again, like I mentioned yesterday, this is very exciting for me because I'm, I'm an ex-rugby player, nothing to the standard of, of Owen. However, when I played for um, Christian Brothers College in Cork, we did beat Belvedere College. <laughs> 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 but he's a few years younger than me as well, so I, didn't, I, never, I never played against Owen, thankfully. Um, but, Owen, if I may ask you, would you, would you bring us back to, to that time of your life and I suppose that summer in 2013 of when when you're when you're you knew your career was kind of in the professional era of rugby was ending and i suppose the the positive side of it how you came about with your brother and with steven and uh creating this fantastic uh bar and restaurant business
1: yeah hi everyone how are you doing um so i suppose obviously it's nearly 12 years ago now since i was uh when i picked up the injury so um, it feels like a lifetime ago and obviously thinking about this morning I was trying to re- re- rethink it through in my head but uh, when I left school I suppose initially I went straight into professional rugby so it was a mad world you know you're 18 playing with these guys that Mark has mentioned and it was like dream come true kind of stuff and it was you know non-stop training and, and you're trying to play in all these stadiums and get picked and the adrenaline and the buzz of it all was amazing right so it was and, it, and i came into leinster at a time where leinster were uh kind of the nearly team and again i'm trying to pitch this am not sure who was into rugby not into rugby okay <laughs> so bear with me a little bit but we were uh we were a brilliant team who could win one one day when beat anybody and the next day just fall to pieces right so this was this kind of nearly team the club was going on this journey and i came in and uh the organization, the culture at the time was just completely changing, right? There was a new coach, a new era, and the whole thing just went on this different journey. And we started winning Heineken Cups and league titles. And, you know, people who aren't interested in rugby, they're like Champions Leagues, right? So this thing was phenomenal as an 18, 19, 20 year old kid to be there and be part of it. So um, that journey was just amazing. And it was, you know, you get all the, tra- it was like, in a weird way, it was like being in the military because it was so disciplined, so um, so many sacrifices, and the training at that age was nearly trying to see who they could break and who, you know, who wasn't going to be strong enough to handle the pressure of professional sports career. So it had its good sides and its bad sides. You know, the, probably the bad side of that is trying to unwind some of that um, uh, that world doesn't always apply to the real world. You know, I think it can be a little bit. Alpha and a little bit uh uber competitive and that side of things, so um, unfortunately, then you know, I i got a freak injury in a match where someone tackled me, my knee hit their knee, and uh, broke my leg, dislocated my knee, did my cruciate, my blah blah blah, so it just kept going. So, I had a couple of years of surgeries and doctor's appointments and different things, and uh, it didn't really come back together, so um fast forward then into joining into the pub world, so I was 23 when I got injured, uh, 25 when I retired, and I was either going to go to Thailand or Australia or somewhere for a year because I didn't have a clue what to do, and my goal since I was 10 years old was to play professional rugby, so um, at that time I was like, I just need to get out of here because probably not in the healthiest point in my life, you know, mentally-wise, you know. so um, I was either doing that or, or else uh, Brian and Stephen, my brother and my business partner, uh, had opened up two bars at the time and they were looking at the third one and they said, why don't you give this a go with us? So, uh, at 25 years of age then, I suddenly found myself, they were looking after the other two and I found myself running a business that... Um, I had no real idea what I was doing, you know, so uh, with 50 people working in that business, it was very successful business and um, I was trying to take some of the good qualities from what I'd learned in rugby and team and culture and all those nice things, but then probably of it again didn't apply where I come from a world where if you made a mistake on a Saturday, in a room like this, the coach puts it up in the video and he tells you, that was shy, what were you doing? And you're like, "Hmm," okay, and you just have to swallow it. Or the newspaper says, oh, he played crap, and you're like, Right. So then I bring that into the real world and, and not everybody wants to hear it, obviously. And, and rightly so. It's not always that. It's very surprising, confusing. actually. Yeah. So I remember the first conversation I had with one of the marketing girls and she just started crying. i went, Fuck. I'm going to have to rethink how send her I to Do this. you send her to do laps, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, so yeah, laps around so the pub? Thinking, right. There's a little bit of a disconnect, right? So. Um, and it was all I knew. So I was kind of looking around and I didn't have a clue how to run a pub, didn't have a clue how to run a business. Um, so I was just trying to bluff my way through it a little bit, but you know, uh, uh,
0: can I can I ask you who who did you have anyone counselling you during that time, as in giving you guidance on on. On, biz- on the business world, was it Stephen or your brother that were, were giving yeah. you some guidance and maybe saying, "Listen, don't be uh, sending the lads out to do press ups and laps." And- yeah, yeah, yeah. And like- nailing them in front of everybody on the on the television screen for their yeah. for their wrongdoings.
1: So there was definitely that, and I was kind of watching to see how they were doing it and trying to figure that out. And then we had like uh, a manager in the pub as well, obviously, and he'd been running post for thirty years. So like you know, we're sitting around talking about the problem to fix and the pub and whatever it is and I'm kind of looking at him going look what do you think you know like he's running (laughs) 30 years so just go let's just go what you think you know so um, (laughs) but um, it was a brilliant time like the first weekend we opened Ireland had played a Six Nations game and Joe Schmidt was the coach at the time and I would have got on well with when he was coaching me and he pulled the team bus up outside the door of the nightclub after they'd uh, they'd beaten Wales that day, and the whole team, the whole squad comes in doctors, coaches, players, everybody. And um, this is again, first weekend, a new bar is open, and people are tweeting, going, The Irish team have walked in, or whatever. So The place was just an instant success, like you know, and fantastic. Yeah. It was huge for the business, and obviously, you know, it was a nice gesture from the lads and, and, yeah. and everybody else. So, um, I think you, you'd get that within that camaraderie in a way within
0: the rugby community, right? Just the sports world in general, I guess. But again, from being in rugby as well, I would have seen that. And I know I've seen that firsthand with Joe and the team, yeah, coming in here to the cheeky pup, yeah,
1: still, and they still in. come yeah, in yeah, now yeah, exactly, under, under
0: yeah. uh, Faz as well, obviously. But, um, mm. and I, I remember that when we had joe smith over the time for the show around of the campus and the hotel and before they chose him, we went out and he actually asked us can we go to the cheeky pub Mm, and we met you in here in the cheeky pub and we had drinks with you guys here yeah 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 Yeah, Yeah, good man um let let me ask you then so you, you you spent those years in dublin and then obviously how did the opportunity come up to 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 take on this, this place.
1: Yeah, so we, we'd opened a couple of bars in Dublin at that stage. Uh, so, again, for people who don't know, at the moment we have six, six pubs in, in Ireland um, and we have a pizza business in Ireland that's kind of like a takeaway, premium takeaway pizza. Um, and at the time we had probably uh, four bars in Ireland. This came up for sale uh, and we decided to take a run at it and I'd gotten married that summer. And then I turned to my wife and said, "Listen, I'm going to go to Portugal uh, to open up an Irish bar." And she said, oh, "Right, okay." So, um, you said I, or you said we? No, it wasn't. Well, <laughs> she had a good job at the time. I wasn't sure if this was going to work, so <coughs> we didn't want to just take the gamble. So uh, she stayed in Ireland. Uh, I moved over here for kind of eight, nine months when we opened this place. Again, when I think back to that, like it was bananas. And obviously, people in this room know the good and the bad at doing business in Portugal. Mm -hmm. So we arrived in, renovated the place, and uh, night one we opened, and we didn't have our EDP connection the correct way. So we spent the first six months getting power cuts all the time. Mm. We had a generator outside then that we had to run, and, and the pub was running off a generator. And we used to put there was about three grand's worth of diesel in the generator every week and like it was so stressful it was unbelievable and then the generator broke and we had to get another gen- it was just bananas right so on top of that we again didn't know how to run a pub still even a couple of years later we ran it we were an irish bar opening on paddy's day we ran out a guinness we ran out of gin and we ran out of change and it was like my wife was in behind the bar and she was she's never worked behind the bar and she's chucking out drinks and someone would hand her a fifty euro note she didn't know how to work the till, so she'd say, Listen, do you know what? This one's on me. Thanks ah. for me. <laughs> So like it was just carnage, you know, at the time. So um, uh, does she still go behind the bar? No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> so um, <laughs> but again, you know, you're starting your own business and you're starting in a new country, and you're just trying to figure. You're just trying to figure it out. Like, but you, you guys have obviously figured it out, right? Because
0: yeah. uh, this is obviously extremely successful, as everyone knows. I'm sure that they do. I'm sure everyone's ha- shared a shared a drink in here at some stage over the last couple of years since it uh, was changed over from Tabaris. Um, but you've moved on and you've uh, opened up quite a few other establishments within this area. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the the, the other challenges maybe that you came upon with those and obviously the successes and the enjoyment that you've gotten and how you've, I suppose, developed from that young 25 year old, not having a clue, yeah, yeah, yeah. The life out of, scaring the life out of everybody in the yeah, pub yeah, to yeah. how you are now.
1: Uh, well, so, uh, yeah, we were. We had this place probably five years, I think, and we we're trying to find the next one, find the next one. It just wasn't happening. And then COVID happened, uh, which was obviously a disaster for our business in general in ireland in particular um, with the harshest and longest lockdown of anywhere so it was a nightmare and i thought i was in for my second retirement at the age of uh, in my early 30s but um so we came out here my, my wife and kids we came out here for a month's holiday just to kind of try and clear our heads uh september or oh, in the middle of covid for a month and we decided this is lovely let's stay just kind of extended another month, extended another month. And then we decided, look, geez, you know what, it'd be amazing to live here. So uh, we then tried to, again, my wife said to me, like, why don't you try and find another restaurant over here? I said, thanks a million, it's really helpful. I've been trying for the last four years. (laughs) So, uh, but within about two or three months, we shook hands on the pizzeria, which is across the square, and then the Bold Octopus. So it kind of, a little bit of luck fell into place. And we opened the two of those uh, May 21. So we opened the same week, which was bananas. Mm, And I was fairly idiotic uh, looking at it now. (laughs) And it was just around the time when COVID was kind of coming out. So it was like, it was really nuts. So we did That was the time of the air bridges. <laughs> it was the air bridges yeah. and it was green the, the yeah. you portrait was on the green list and it was <laughs> off the green list and people were still close contacts and all this sort of stuff. So managing a place like this <clears> and you've got a kitchen, I remember it was like the UEFA it was the Euros and it was the Pizzeria's busiest night it had been open and one of the chefs gets COVID and eleven people overnight were just gone. Like and there's only there probably is only 11 people working in that kitchen in one night you know so we suddenly had to juggle people around there's people missing here there's people missing the beach and it was just carnage for a while so but in one sense it was good you had three places at that point it was if you had one you wouldn't have had a kitchen no but it was coming then to those conversations that, right, which one do you close while you have to you know yeah. pull the staff together and all those things just such a strange time obviously you know looking back at it now um, and the masks and the COVID passes to get in, and th- the time limits and all those things—you know—it was just bananas to be.
0: It certainly was. Um, yeah. And and a time that we hopefully will never have to repeat, hopefully. which I don't think we ever will, thankfully. Hopefully, but uh, I think we've. But it seems it seems that uh, over those years, you you've certainly developed yeah. yourself from, again, that that young twenty-five-year-old. Um, I spoke to you yesterday briefly about this. like we're fortunate, and you, you, you and I are fortunate that we have the Irish team come in here and we have them stay up here in the hotel and play down the campus. And we have other professional teams as well. And you, you, you touched on it at the beginning what you said of your, your, your mental days of just focus, focus on training. And I see that with, with both the Irish team and, and the, other, the other teams, their, their day-to-day lives while they're in camp anyway, I don't mm-hmm. like when they're out of camp is so structured and we were laughing yesterday and they nearly tell you what colour underpants to wear yeah, to, yeah. To in the morning time because yeah. I literally get a sheet of this is the socks, this is the top, this is what you wear yeah. and this is what you need to do now and this is when you eat and this is when you go to sleep and mm. this is what you do for recovery, this is the vitamins, this is this. Yeah. Going from that into back to reality, what, yeah. we're all, what we all go through. How, how is that shift because I, I know that's been a topic from what I've read previously and spoke to some of these guys especially the older players Of and it's kind of a scary thought for them right what what, what do I do afterwards I've been looked after pretty much and told what to do for 10-15 yeah. years now I've got to make up my own decisions did you find that a difficult transition to, to, to,
1: to go into I definitely did I, I think like again so when I I had an injured at twenty three and retired at twenty five, and, and in that two year period, I had about six surgeries, and I can't I can't count how many injections and different things, and and it, I was in a world where I was taking painkillers and anti inflammatories every day just to try and train and trying to get this injury fixed and all these things. So my point on it is, by the end of that period, I was like, "Get me out of here!" You know, like yeah, okay. this is not fun. Like the lads were going off playing games at weekends. That's the fun bit. Yeah. Okay. I was just with Physio's doctor's rehab. There was nothing nice about it. Yeah, yeah. So now I still had that effect at the end when I suddenly like you know, for the last eight years I've been like, get up at this time, follow this schedule and you're told what to wear and even when you're not in the building you kinda of have to be aware of what you're eating and drinking and you know, so like it's a complete military lifestyle, really, yeah. you know. It's so good word for it, yeah. um and then you fast forward and suddenly, like, I was, again, 25, most of my friends were probably starting their first job, like, some of them doing a master's, different things. So, like, I was looking around going, like, what, what do you do here, you know? So, like, again, head to Thailand, head to Australia, or open this bar, and kind of probably the, the structure of a lease that's a solid option probably suited me, you know? But in the mornings, like, I remember this, um, I remember I'd said to my friend, I'll meet you in the gym tomorrow. But the night before I went out and and had a load of pints, like ended up on a massive night out. And uh, it happens, (laughs) and uh, you know, enjoying that bit of freedom or whatever. But the next day I'd made this commitment in my head that I was going to the gym. So I turned up like in terrible condition, stinking of booze, but like I had to be there because I'd said I had to be there and had to be at this time. And he looked at me like what are you doing and i i couldn't really get my head around that you know like you know that was what we said we we're going to do and so i had to do and you know follow it couldn't just send him a text i'm not going you know yeah. like it's just a you're just so wired that way that it is an issue but i think at 25 years of age it, you know it was i obviously would have loved to play longer and try and achieve different things that didn't happen but i also was lucky that i didn't have kids and a mortgage and the pressures of that like you see guys now finishing you know i'm 35 now there's still some of my friends playing they're coming out now and like they've reached these really big heights suddenly they're coming down they've got no no career prospect or no obvious one and they've got kids and a mortgage and different things going at home you know like it's that's I think that's, that's an important fact we, we spoke there about
0: Johnny Sexton Being mm-hmm. one of the One of the, the players That yeah. would have been In your, your group And I remember actually When he retired Only a couple of weeks ago Sean O'Brien sent a picture Out on Instagram I don't know if you saw that And one of the pictures Was with you Sean O'Brien And mm-hmm. Johnny Sexton With a couple of drinks I think after a game Or something Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wouldn't really have to Think we'd have to worry About Johnny Sexton Finding no. things to do Because I'd imagine he will be quite popular In pretty much every yeah, Every yeah. segment He decides to go into um, however there's a, there's not every player like that right there's no. other players that are more fringe players that would be coming out and
1: yeah and that's it like it, even guys who played for Ireland or England or whatever the country like unless you've done it for 10 years you know you're not of that bracket you know so like Johnny Sexton no problem he'll have plenty of options the, the layer below it's where do they go you know and, and they go from earning really big salaries and from playing in front like it's not even just the financial side they're playing in stadiums 80,000 people you know Week after week, that is, people get addicted to that buzz, you know, like it's, you know, you look at a musician going out to a stadium and playing, like, it, you, you don't replicate that in real life, unfortunately, yeah. you know, so. Try um, get up there with the uh, six hours whenever you <laughs> <laughs> So, it's that kind of feeling of like, you know, okay, grand, I have to get my career going and I have to figure out, you know, I have a whole other chapter in my life, which can be exciting as well. Because you don't get told what to do all the time, so you get this level of freedom back. And, you know, the amount of weddings or friends' birthdays or kids' birthdays that people are missing, you know, they're going to the World Cup, they're gone for two months, not seeing their families, most yeah. of them. There was a guy in Fiji uh, during the World Cup, his son died, he didn't yeah, go yeah, home. That's right, You that's know, right. like That's bonkers, you know, but when you're in that bubble and that world, kind of somehow feels a little bit normal you know so and it's the team goes first and you know every sacrifice is for the team it's the better the team it doesn't matter what's going on in your life or, or their life it's what's the best for the team everything else gets put aside so there's good parts and there's bad parts but I have a lot of friends definitely struggling with coming out of that world you know and, and
0: what would you find now um okay you've been retired as you said in 10 years pretty much right Mm. 2013 to now 23 yeah Uh, would you think there's a lot more help for these players when they're coming out of rugby nowadays compared to what was a decade ago for when you it's a bit more normalised now isn't
1: it it is a bit and again we were the first batch of professional rugby players kind of at the early stages I remember when I got injured and people went shit like no one really thought like that can happen you know or won't happen to me was the obvious feeling for people And then they all suddenly, everyone got organized, they got their insurance in place and uh, started to think about doing mentors programs or whatever, or studying and different things. So uh, there is way more now, but it's still a bit to go. I think, you know, like I think maybe it's not that open and uh, like there's definitely issues with depression, anxiety within professional sport in general. I know for a fact it is within rugby. So um, it's something that needs to be looked at, definitely.
0: Okay. and can we, can we can we come off that a little bit and back into you mentioned there your your, your uh, or, or original approach to the business world Yeah. Um, you must have taken some of that must have worked right and i 'm sure you hold on to that today. Like, can you give us a bit of a, um, an example of the not the strategy but the philosophy or the the structure that you would have learned that would have been brought <laughs> up in that culture? of Mm. schools rugby and then into professional rugby that you could and you'd have brought into the business world and that that works
1: yeah yeah like look i think the obvious things are discipline and hard work and all those things and i think when you open a business in theory you open a pub and an irish pub in portugal or whatever it is and you expect it to go this way and it never ever does obviously you know so we were opening up down here um and, and I remember we're kind of the two weeks before we're opening and I'm kind of going right well let's go hire some staff and I was like well this is a seasonal place you've just miscued this whole thing like have you not organized it? so I went down to Forum Algarve and I was going into Zara and these different shops talking to people working in the shop and if they were nice people I pretended to buy bed sheets. Huh? If they were nice people i try and offer them a job and say do you want to work in, in a virus pub and they're like, what you know so <laughs> yeah. like you just and I'll take these bad yeah, sheets. yeah 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 yeah. so you just kind of all these different things you're trying to figure out ways around it and you just keep pushing your way through it I suppose so like you know I don't know what the direct translation but you kind of have to find solutions a little bit so there's definitely a lot of benefits from it and um, yeah so you think that with, with that
0: rugby experience and being put under the cosh, I suppose, in, in, in mm. terminology from rugby and that, you, you find ways to get out of it. I think, you Don't yeah. give up.
1: Well, you just have to, yeah. Like I, Again, I remember when we were open here as well, um, we're driving out to Faro and I'm in the back of a uh, one of the chef's cars, two Portuguese chefs, they don't speak English,
0: <laughs> and I'm
1: sitting there looking out the window and the sun's coming through and I remember thinking it was a Six Nations weekend in Ireland, we're playing England or whatever. I remember thinking, Jesus, how, like, what am I doing here? Like, <laughs> like, I should be playing in this game. That was where I was going. And now I'm heading out <laughs> to pick knives and forks and plates with two lads who don't speak English. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I kind of questioned my whole life, you know. But in it, the back of a car. Kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what type of car was it? I don't know. Like a Renault or whatever it was. But, um, it wasn't you know, a back or anything. No, 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 no. So you have these strange moments along the way. um, <laughs> Uh, but, look, again, you just got to keep pushing through it, I think. But I think probably the negative side of it, as I said earlier, with the maybe the feedback and the communication can be a bit direct and a bit blunt. And uh, I think probably trying to go, like, you know, one of the things for, for me personally is that whole world of rugby was just push, push, push. And, like, even as a 21-year-old, and we were winning Heineken Cups and I was in the Irish squad and all these exciting things... I didn't stop for a second to think, wow, this is fucking amazing. Like, mm. This is what I want to be doing. This couldn't be any better. Like, I was just thinking more next, next, next. Like, yeah. you know, and you can kind of that can be a skill, obviously. And that's great. And it works. But at the same time, when it comes to this, I'm trying to go. The pushing great and it gets you through problems. But I am trying to appreciate it a little bit and go, well, this is, you know, we're living a great life. We're in the Algarve here great setup for our family everything's really falling into place and, and thankfully business is going well you know so trying to rewire some of those things as well you know.
0: Yeah but if you think of that when you, I, I'd say if you spoke to 9 out of 10 or 99 out of 100 sports professional sports <coughs> players they would probably say the same thing right during mm. their playing career they never took the moment to appreciate those mm-hmm. those highs because yeah. you don't no. and as you said you're, you're in that because you see with the Irish guys here they're in this mentality that a win is a win they move on to the next one Yeah, yeah. and I'm sure, I think during the World Cup they showed that they did enjoy because the stadiums were absolutely yeah, mental yeah, yeah, after yeah. each game yeah. and, and yeah. made them appreciate and enjoy it but um, I don't think you're alone there and I think then that shows your experience now that you've been here that you can mm. reflect on that and that you can um, start to learn and start to enjoy that mm. and, and do you enjoy
1: what you do now? Yeah, I do, yeah, yeah. And I I, and I particularly enjoyed the last few years. Like again, we've moved here three years ago and this place to me is paradise, you know, like um we from a family and a personal point of view, it just the lifestyle of it all is so much better and I think um as much as there's difficulties to doing business in Portugal, there is opportunities and I think in the three years we've been here or I've been here full time it's transformed. Like and you know, it's like people have realized um how nice the algarve is and what it has to offer and i think it's exciting like I, for us we'd love to keep growing the business down here try five more bars and restaurants and i don't know where or what they're going to look like but um yeah that's probably the bit i enjoy yeah so i i, I do really like it yeah
0: and and on that actually so your your day to day are you are you involved operationally in the bars and restaurants or are you more um, looking at from the administration side and again looking for
1: more opportunities to expand or, yeah. or how does that or is it a mix of both Anytime I uh, I've ever been in behind the bar I'm I, I, the lads are kicking me out I'm too slow so um, I'm pretty useless but I uh, yeah I'd normally be kind of behind uh, we, we we have an office again about the pizzeria and that's where I spend the week most of the time yeah and um, but again, in our business, you have to be in it, you know, you have to see it, it's not really something that you organise on paper and, you know, it's such a people business on the customer side and then the staff side, like, if you don't have a, every business is, obviously, staff are hugely important, but if you have a, an unhappy group of people in a pub and they're serving customers, like, it's the worst thing you can do, you know, no one, no one wants to be there, so, um, and I also can sit at a desk for too long, so I try and move around a
0: little bit, yeah. Good, and uh, we'll we'll start to wrap it up there now in a few a few minutes. Just a couple more questions for you on that point. You mentioned there a few times the the challenges and the the positives of doing business in Portugal. Can you can you give us a bit of uh, insight into those challenges that you've come across since um, whichever opening the business in general, mm-hmm.
1: opening the pub here, whether it was the Bold Octopus. Yeah, um, I I think. E- like I talk about the EDP and these sort of stories, like it's bureaucratic. I think for me, it's it's a little bit tr- tricky in that way. And then probably staffing is the big one because yeah. you've got this group of people who are um, living down here who are such experienced international travelers into the nicest parts of the world, and then trying to service that can be tricky to keep the standards where they are, you know. And then the seasonal thing—you've got a pile of staff coming in, and you're trying to train them. And then they're gone again you know it's difficult so um definitely one of the things from a rugby point of view when we were uh back there like it was all team obviously and when i started in in leinster we weren't winning things there was no feeling a team it was just this kind of group of lads and there was you know clicks here and there when i started the senior guys wouldn't even say hello like you had to earn your stripes this kind of nonsense like yeah. you know so um it took months before they'd even acknowledge you, you know, and then eventually, you know, you did something, you got the handshake, you're great, okay, I'm in the club, kind of thing, you know, so, you know, that world's ridiculous in my mind, and it all evolved, obviously, uh, in a different way, and one of the coaches, one of the simple things that he brought in at the time, uh, was that you can't, everybody, uh, when you meet someone in the morning for the first time, you just have a simple acknowledgement, shake their hand, say hello. Yeah. So like, it just transformed things overnight because suddenly you had Ryan O'Driscoll, Johnny Sexton saying hello to the eighteen-year-old who's just in for two weeks of training to hold a hold a couple of bags. But like, little things like that transformed. The culture, and when I think of it in a bar in a restaurant, you get someone in on a three or four or five six month contract. Like if they're not welcomed in, you know, it's not a nice place for them to be and spend their time. You know, so they're not going to be able to give their best to your to your customers,
0: are they? No. Yeah. And uh, what what do you have an answer to how we we we, we get around that? The the seasonality obviously is shifting somewhat here. We've all and you mentioned that briefly there a while ago as well. That it's it's getting busier and busier here. Thank God for all of us, and it's great. Um, but it's the same challenge, I presume, for everybody here. Is, is if, you, if you're in the services side of it anyway, and trying mm-hmm. to trying to hire people, is one retain them, uh, keep the competitiveness of everybody else trying to steal your employees back yeah, off yeah, once yeah. you've trained them. And uh, the th- the third part then is to uh, to just find somewhere that they can afford to live here, mm-hmm. because the problem is now and we see in Alvin Hill or just around the corner, which traditionally was the service town for for these areas, is now build their apartments going up we were talking about yesterday as well funny enough like four hundred and fifty thousand for a one one bed apartment or two bed (coughs) apartment in Almond Hill that's not for (coughs) local people that's not for local waiters and barmen to to buy that's that's for a different different market altogether yeah so uh, where do you see that going or what can you do I suppose not you generally but the business itself to 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 help what should we do as business business
1: leaders to help that in this area i don't know like it's it's going to be a big problem like we've lost a couple of people who are now going to switzerland and these type of places because they can earn more money there hopefully save money bring it back and buy a property for themselves so like and at the same time the numbers in the algarve are growing the businesses are growing and there's more businesses opening up Mm. more houses being built and it's just going to get busier so there is going to even the schools like our kids are in a Montessori and I spoke to the principal and there's 180 kids in a waiting list. Never in her life has, has that been the problem, or has been the case. Um, which is a big problem. Which is a massive problem. And then you've got the other international schools bursting at the seams. So, like, I don't really know where it goes, but it definitely needs a, a, a macro view of it. It's going to be, I think, you know, Villamora do a big development. If de Lobo did the big development, it all just going to... I don't know where the yeah. tipping point is. Um... um it's definitely something that I don't know.
0: Was there any more thoughts, Mark, to remember when we talked about I, with Sean and I, at the tourism conference about creating some staff accommodation on site? Mm. You know, for... The problem the you have with on site is, is anything that you can build accommodation on is a very v- valuable piece of land, right? And to put a staff accommodation on that piece of land is it's not really financially doable. I, 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 that's in my opinion. I don't know what Sean would think in down there or what Alden, the team down in Valde would think of that. But in general speaking, anything that's <coughs> zoning to build on will be used to build for, mm-hmm. to sell, uh, unfortunately. Um, uh, but it is a big challenge, right? And I think everyone's like the it is cause it is it's a talking point to really everybody. Well, I mean, staff need to go further and further out. And the further yeah. they go out, they need to drive further in, which means the cost of driving in goes up. Yeah um and it just gets worse and worse so uh, i know i know that in like the fruit farmers the fruit farmers they were able to um, build accommodation for fruit pickers yet and this came up i think in our in the hospitality which helder mentioned but in the hospitality world you can't build staff accommodation to house your staff to service the hotels or restaurants or whatever it is but the farmers are able to do it for fruit farms so why is the legislation not the same so I think that's that's more the answer. If you could rezone land that is currently agricultural land, or is used for whatever other purposes, can you house for accommodation only for staffing? Then that would be a great solution, because then you could find land that you could use. But yeah. Okay. One last question from my side, and then we'll open it up to, to 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 the room. And this is a different question. So this is if you could choose a person, can be alive or dead, right? Uh, that you'd love to meet who would it be and what question would you ask that person
1: I, I'd, I'd want to meet Roy Keane I don't know if everyone knows <laughs> 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 I'm, a, I'm a bit of a man crush on Roy Keane um, I, I'm not sure I'd probably just ask him for a pint but <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any specific you afraid to ask me anything else yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah but no I definitely have a bit of a man crush on him
0: okay fantastic and, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah are you a Man United fan as well no no, just him. Just, to, just, yeah.
1: just yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough.
0: Anyway, thank you very much, Owen. That's all thank from you. myself. It's been thank an absolute you. pleasure. Thank you very much for having This has been a production of the IPBN in partnership with Pinkroom. For more information, visit us online at island-portugal.com and on LinkedIn at Island Portugal Business Network. For more IPBN podcasts, find us on Spotify or visit our website for the full list of episodes.